Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonic's aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome everyone to the Sonic's Flight podcast. This is episode number 16, Autopilots. We'll look at the reasons why you may want to consider an autopilot in your Sonics project. And we'll dig into some of the details of one of the more popular systems made by Dynon Avionics. So joining me, as always, are my two good friends, Gary Motley and John Gillis. John flies his YX from his eastern Colorado air park home and is best known for his custom modifications like his tilt-back canopy, his speed cowl, and all those other goodies that he likes to do. And uh, I think the last time we, we talked, uh, John, you were down for annual, and you said you felt the itch to start changing things in your baffling. So what have you been up to lately? Well, I finished up the uh, baffling changes. I turned it into a classic uh, Aero V-style plenum chamber instead of the uh, the tubes or the troughs that you know they come with the uh, Jabiru. Unfortunately, I've fallen out of myself as uh, I've fallen out of my BFR and I'm having trouble getting uh, a current again because I'm trying to tie that with my commercial uh, license and uh, can't get my CFI and the airplane uh, that I need to, to do my BFR in uh, scheduled properly. So hopefully this weekend I'll be back in the air. So you're going to complete your BFI or you're going to try to do your commercial check ride to I'm take gonna, care of your BFI? No, p- part of the uh, the flight review is to, to get my complex and uh, uh, gotcha. uh, high performance rating at the same time as I do my BFR. Yeah, okay. All right, so that you'll get that knocked out of the way and then you'll be able to go fly it and test out your new baffles, huh? Yeah, then I can go play with my Sonics again, legally. Okay. Well, good deal. I'm interested to hear how that goes. I, I've often thought about doing a pressure plenum for the Jabru also. You know, the, the box-style baffles, they they got a lot of track record. They're pretty well-known, but um, it just seems like maybe a full-pressure plenum, there's some improved efficiency to be had there. So, Well, uh, over the 300 hours I had on mine, um, you know, I've developed cracks and done patches and things, and I decided to just let's revisit this whole entire process and go to a more standard plenum that all the other aircraft have yeah all right well we'll be watching to see how it goes and gary motley gary flies his aero v powered sonics out of denver colorado and he loves to combine his mountain flying with his yanking and banking which we were talking about last week uh what's new gary you've been flying Actually, I've gotten a few hours in this month. I've got about 10 hours probably, which I thought was phenomenal for this season, especially between the cold and the wind. So everything's been working out pretty well. Did you say 10 hours this month? Yeah. Just rubbing it in. I think I had like two. Well, that's still on the low side for me, but so I was pretty happy even at even at 10. And you didn't come down and visit me. That really <laughs> dis- Well, you know, you were sick last time. You just wanted to give I me was. You didn't want to come down and see me. No, because I know you'd slobber all over me. Well, that's the way you are. You're just a lovely, handsome man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, you guys all know me, uh, Jeff Schultz. I'm builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and 
Sonic's 1374 flying out of Jackson, Mississippi, uh, where the weather has been decent, but I guess uh, trying to get weather and schedules to match up is harder than I think it should be. So not a lot of flying for me. Our guest this time is David Weber. Dave plans built Sonic's 318 from about the uh, uh, the early 2000s up to about 2009. Uh, it's a standard gear Jabiru 33 power, uh, flown 400 plus hours. Uh, Dave's j- day job is working at Dynon Avionics as the as a production design engineer. And uh, so it was uh, pretty much a natural fit for him to install a Dynon autopilot in his own Sonics. So based on that experience, Dave developed the install kits, the documentation, the whole package for the Sonics, and uh, did a great job. So Dave, thanks for being here. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So I guess uh, the, the first question on my mind is the uh, the process of developing a new install kit. Is this like a weekend project for you, or was this a significant effort, and we just kind of get the, the benefit of it? totally clueless of how much pain you had to go through. Well, I'd like to say it was a weekend project, but uh, things are never easy, are they? Um, it did turn into uh, quite a few man hours. Uh, the, most of the man hours weren't really in the uh, design of the installation. It's all the documentation that had to go along with it because you have to communicate that to uh, the customers. And so everything from the SolidWorks drawings to the uh, installation guides uh, was all under uh, my watch. Well, I've taken a look at the documentation, and you're right. That That is probably the most important part, because you can have a box of bits and pieces, but um, it's it's the tech support through your, your documentation manuals that really kind of set builders up for success. That's right, and uh, a lot of people can produce a, a kit, but if you don't have the support and the documentation to go along with it, well, you're kind of leaving the customer uh, at shorthanded on that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, let's uh, let's hit a couple of news topics, and then we'll jump right back in and uh, talk autopilots. So the first topic uh, on the list here is uh, there have been a couple of Sonic's regional fly-ins announce their uh, their fly-in dates. First one is in Rio Linda, California. That's the 14th annual Rio Linda fly-in, and they're talking about May 20th. I remember when this thing was just starting off. It didn't seem like it was, you know, 14 years ago, but I guess that's where we are. Anybody been to Rio Linda? Oh, yeah. No, I haven't, unfortunately. Dave, did you fly down to Rio Linda? Uh, I flew down uh, twice in the Sonics, and I've been down there twice uh, in the Sportsman now. So uh, what's your impression of sort of the flavor of that, that get-together? It's a real relaxed flying, and... Uh, Eric Shepherds is the guy that uh, kind of started the whole thing, uh, and he does a great job, uh, puts together uh, kind of a, a good burger burn at lunch. Uh, last year, they even stepped it up and did some uh, some ribs. So if you got uh, an appetite and you want to see some, you know, a couple rows of Sonic sitting there, um, it's a great place to head. The weather's always good, and uh, so is the whole atmosphere. Well, I'd like to get back there sometime. Uh you know, that is that is literally my old stomping ground. That's where I grew up. That's where I learned to fly is in that area, uh, flying in and out of Rio Linda and the surrounding airports. But I have yet to actually be to a Rio Linda Sonics fly-in. Uh, my family has been numerous times. My dad goes every time, but I haven't been yet. So I need to, I need to put that on the calendar and, and get out there. I highly recommend it. 
Well, we'll put the uh, the details to the the real end of flying and uh, contact information if you need more information. Um, and uh, yeah, get a chance, uh, get out there and, and go see it. The other Sonics flying is our very own Sonics Mile High flying in Colorado Springs, and uh, John Gillis has stepped into the fray and and uh, agreed to organize this. And that is going to be actually the same day, May twentieth. Uh, probably not going to really uh, going to going to draw from the same crowd of people, so no one's going to have to make a tough choice whether to go to Rio Linda or Colorado Springs. But uh, early May is a great time to kick off a flying. So if you're in the Colorado Springs area or New Mexico or any of that, uh, even into as far into uh, Kansas and and Kansas City area, get out there and get to the uh, Mile High Flying. I'll be coming in, so uh, it'll be a good little flight from uh, Mississippi, and uh, it'll be a great time. Yeah, we're really looking forward to bringing in all the Colorado Sonics and maybe a few New Mexico, if there are any flying right now. I'm not sure if there are any. Uh, Carl Benda is going to host his hangar, and he just moved into a really nice condo hangar with a bathroom and power, and we're going to put a big barbecue on. Uh, There's camping. Um, uh, We'll have a crew car if you guys all want to pile into his uh, Single cab VW uh, van from, I think it's a 1965, uh, really classic vehicle. You can go into town, hit the bars, whatever you want to do. <laughs> that is the party wagon, too, so that thing is cool. All right, well, we'll, we'll get some uh, some more information out on locations and, and all that stuff. I'm sure that will be released here in the next few weeks, so we'll put links to that in the show notes as well. Uh, the next topic I have, this is a, a little bit older. It's, it's uh, I don't know, from last month or, or possibly a little beyond that. Uh, Sonics announced that they're doing Xenos B-Model and B-Model Quick Build Kits. And they posted a photo of the first Quick Build Kit in the shop there in Oshkosh getting ready to ship out to a customer. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but th- th- this is one of those things that just kind of keeps coming back up. Um, the more I think about it, the more I really like this idea of a cool B-model Xenos motor glider. I think that would just be a really great club airplane or going to a partnership. Maybe not the airplane that you want to fly all day, every day, but as, a, as an airplane that you can pull out and go fly for the types of things that excels at, I think it's a great offering. So I'm glad to see that they're really pushing it and that they're doing quick build kits, and I hope that they, uh, they sell a bunch of them. Yeah, and the more you talk about it, I suspect that's going to be your next project. Could be, could be. I, I've been working on my glider club. I, I'm not getting a lot of traction yet, but I'm I'm working on them. And I'm working on my glider club too. So a lot of them are are, are more interested in really high performance gliders than a uh, a motor glider that you know can do both. You know, I like Ferraris too, but I don't see myself driving one anytime soon. Yeah, these are kind of like the Volkswagens of uh, or the, the the maybe the Honda Civics of gliders. Maybe a maybe a Camaro instead of a Viper. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, once again, uh, guest uh, David Weber. Dave, why don't I just kick it over to you, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your flying background, uh, your Sonics project, and then uh, some of your duties and, and some of your history there at Dynon. Well, uh Start off, I, I started flying in 1991 and uh, kind of flew uh, what I call OP airplanes, which was other people's airplanes, which is a real, you know, kind of affordable way to fly uh, until you actually want an airplane at a specific time and date and want to go do things that you want to do. And then it gets really difficult. So 
I started looking at uh, building an airplane. And uh, if you know uh, the area around here in Seattle area at all, we have this uh, absolutely wonderful fly-in up here, the Arlington fly-in, which used to be a really big gathering for the experimental uh, groups. And when I was up there, I saw a Zenith project and thought that was the coolest thing. And then uh, a couple years later, uh, after contemplating whether or not I wanted to build a Zenith, I heard about this Sonics and uh, just happened that that year Eric Shepard's showed up in his Sonics and took me up for a ride. And I flew that and I just absolutely fell in love with the airplane. Um, the handling qualities, the the affordability of it, and uh, just fit everything that I was looking for at the time. You know, the nice thing about the building from plans is that you can buy as you go along. And when you're uh, just starting off with a young family, that's a great way to do it. You uh, you can buy a hundred dollars worth of aluminum and build for a couple months, and buy a couple hundred dollars worth more and keep building. So it just keeps the dream alive. And I did that for uh, seven years before I ended up uh, actually flying the thing, and uh, never regretted it. Absolutely loved the airplane. It was a sad day when I sold it, but um, kind of needed to move on at that point. Uh, I, of course the Months after I sell it, Sonics comes out with the Model B, which was uh, kind of uh, inspiring. Almost made me uh, throw away the RV7 project and go back to Sonics, but uh, I was too far along to uh, to do that. But I did start uh, it dine on uh, over six years ago now. Absolutely love it here. It's a great company owned by a great gentleman by uh, John Tarode, uh who was uh, a former MIT professor. And uh, he decided one day that he could make a uh, an autopilot out of uh, the gyros that he was seeing being manufactured for uh, small uh, cell phone use. And uh, after that, it just kind of, as John put it in his own words, it's his garage shop experiment that went bad. And now he's got a, a multi-million dollar company that he has to manage and does a pretty good job of it. We're a pretty happy crew here, and we absolutely love what we do. We've got a significant amount of people here that are pilots and significant amount of people that um, have uh, participated in building uh, airplanes. If you follow the Dynon story at all, you know that uh, several of us here at the office put our money together about three years ago, and we built a uh, Glass Air Sportsman. And I was one of the ones that was lucky enough to uh, participate in that. And we absolutely enjoy that airplane. We fly it all over the place. It's been flying for three years now, and we're coming up on 1,000 hours on the aircraft. That's quite a bit of flying. Uh, now, yeah, that's impressive. I mean, uh, Gary can't even do that much flying. <laughs> we do a lot of flight testing yeah. with it, and we fly out to a lot of uh, local uh Events, including uh, it's been back to Oshkosh every year since it's been flying. And I think uh, we sort of uh, arm wrestle over who gets to uh, who gets to fly uh, the plane back to uh, uh, the show. Uh, although we end up paying for it, um, it's just such a great event to be able to do it and have a great destination to go to. It's uh, a real fun, fun trip to make. 
Well, plus it so, only makes sense to have uh, a fleet of airplanes that you can just drop a new product in and go play with it and test it out. Yeah, yeah, we use the the, the Sportsman quite a bit for uh, testing. Uh, we used the Sonics when I had the Sonics. We used that for a lot of testing. Uh, it was kind of a few humorous flights where uh, we had laptops and uh, computers sitting in the cockpit and you guys know how roomy the Sonics cockpit is, so you can imagine having two or three laptops uh, sitting there that you're trying to maneuver around the cockpit while you're doing uh, flight testing. It was quite uh, quite an event several times, So, but we had fun doing it, and uh, now I'm building a 7, so that uh, that'll probably become a test bed also in the future. So Dave, your, your early days at Dynon, uh, what type of work did you do? Did you, did you always work as a design engineer or did you kind of move into that um no i've kind of always the the gentleman that left before me was doing a lot of the uh, mechanical design um, and heavy mechanical engineering and what they wanted is they wanted somebody that could know airplanes and and he really didn't know airplanes um and so they wanted somebody that could come in and, and know how to put together you know things like the autopilots um, and relate to customers on on how to put things together and that's kind of been my role here is I'm more of the uh, the airplane builder advocate here at Dynon they really strive and try to put their um, their designs and their minds uh, into the builder's mind when they're doing a product and um, that's exactly what we do we Definitely, when we're doing a lot of our research and development, uh, we have a certain uh, group of pilots that we look at and uh, have them beta test for us and really get that that feel for what they want. And there's a surprising difference between the certified market and the experimental market in what you see in the product. The experimental market guys tend to be a lot more outgoing uh, with their designs. Whereas the certified market, they're very conservative. They don't like to see new exotic things such as touch screens. Well, I think your connection with, with the home builder is what really drew me to Dynan in, in particular, uh, especially for the project I'm doing it on. As I looked at some of the other other items out there, the other offerings, some of them are very, very nice. But when I started looking at some of the documentation, how I was going to actually integrate it into my project, I just kept going back to Dynan repeatedly, and that's kind of what I ended up doing was because of that integration that you have. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That's really what we strive for. We're, uh, I like to tell people that we're kind of the uh, the Ford of the uh, experimental avionics world. We're affordable, but we give you your money's worth. Well, and Dave, one of the other things I've really liked is that you actively solicit people's input. And every year I look forward to, to stopping by the booth with my little notepad of wish list items for the next software revision. And uh, some of them, you know, I'm, I may be the only person that wants it that way. Uh, but a lot of these things, you know, it's, um, it's amazing how many of the, the requests that the builder community float to you guys ultimately end up making it into a software revision. I don't know what the percentage is, but just kind of running down my own mental list, it's probably around half of them seem like they have enough merit that they get integrated in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, we do a lot of that tracking, and our, our customers, we have absolutely wonderful customers. Our customers are second to none. Um, they keep us honest, and they challenge us daily uh, on the things that we do. And 
fortunately, we've got some really powerful brains here at the company that can take those ideas and translate those into the software and the designs that speak to the customer. And I think Dynon has shown that we're a leader in this industry when it comes to that. There's been that other, you know, some pretty big names that uh, have followed us into this market, but uh, we we seem to be able to keep our head above water and, and show the rest of the world what we're going to do. So, Dave, tell me a little bit about the specific projects that you've worked on. Um, what what have been some of your favorite projects or what, I don't know, what's a bread and butter type design project for you? Just give me a feel for what you do on a daily basis. Well, most of the, uh, what you would probably call industrial design and the, and the mechanical designs of the modules. Uh, if you look at like our autopilot control module or knob control module, uh, those are designs that um, were uh, mechanical designs of mine. I work together with the electrical engineers and the software engineers and the program manager to come up with the designs for that, um, those particular modules. The latest thing that I uh, am pretty proud of is the uh, Skyview HDX. Uh, we worked together with a um, industrial design team to come up with some basic concepts, uh, told them what we were looking for. They gave us back some uh, ideas on how we could accomplish that, and I took all that to the CAD. We used SolidWorks here and uh, was able to come up with a, what we thought was a pretty good product, something that had some really innovative um, ideas, such as the slanted bezel that uh, gives you a little bit better you know, resting area for that touch screen. So when you say you, you put it in the CAD and inspect it, uh, are you working off of a sketch that another team sort of provided to you? Or do you just have a collection of bits and pieces and random ideas and you generate it from a clean sheet? Yeah, the latter of that. We have a bunch of, uh, of ideas. Uh, we knew we wanted things like illuminated buttons. We knew we wanted knobs that were uh, a little bit wider, a little bit easier to grab. Um, we knew we wanted a touch screen, and we knew we wanted a bezel that was a little bit more proud of the uh, panel, making it easier to do that those touch gestures. We really kind of saw the HDX as a next step away from a button-integrated system into more of a touch screen-integrated system. That said, we knew that we wanted to keep the buttons because turbulence just really make it difficult to do those touch screen gestures. So if you look at the design, what I came up with was I came up with buttons that were a little bit more recessed into the bezel, meaning that they weren't quite as important as they were on the classic Skyview. The classic Skyview has a button that, a button array that is really pronounced. It's right out there. And uh, so we said, well, let's make it a little less obvious, a little more subtle that the buttons aren't important. And then we brought the screen out to the very front of the bezel to uh, allow easier uh, touch gestures. And uh, I think we did a pretty good job of getting across the idea that we wanted to at that time. Well, I'm just impressed that, um, you know, you're kind of the nexus of bringing these various concepts, working with the software and the and the, uh, the double E's and kind of putting it all into the product that, that the consumer is going to get their hands on. And I guess a lot of that interface and feel of the product really kind of comes out of, out of your out of your effort. Yeah, well, I work with a bunch of great guys. I tell you that, that some of the electrical engineers and the software engineers here just surprise me daily with uh, with what they come up with. And we uh, we have these uh, really good 
design meetings where uh, it's almost like the Wright brothers, you know, back in the days when they would argue and, and sort of take each other's opinions just to uh, see if they could come up with different new ideas. And uh, we're really, really get together as a team at those meetings and throw each other's ideas and see what sticks. And uh, behind all that really is what we've, what we get from customers, the drive that the customers want to see. And that's really what you saw with the HDX. We saw customers uh, wanting to see more of a touch-driven system. Touch was the thing that they were getting used to with their cell phones and all the computers that they use, and they wanted to see that technology sort of morph into the cockpit, and that's what we gave them. Well, David, I think you have to take it to the next step. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the Siri of, of Dynan. You know, why not voice activated next? <laughs> yeah, I could tell you some of the, the great ideas that have been thrown up against the wall, and voice activation is definitely one that's been thrown up against the wall. <laughs> so now that the HDX is is done and shipping, and, and uh, what are you working on now? Well, we're, uh, we've got a couple top-secret projects, and uh, we should have some really good announcements here uh, just before Sun and Fun. Uh, as always, we're trying to make things smaller and cheaper. Um, I should probably use a different word than cheaper. Inexpensive is probably a better word to, to use there. Uh, we're always trying to lower the cost. Um, the owner of Dynon, uh, he's brutal to us engineers when we go into a meeting and we show him a costed bomb, and, and uh, he just just challenges daily to uh, to get those costs down so that we can provide a customer with uh, a lower cost item. Um, if you've noticed uh, in uh, what the eight years since Skyview has come out, the price of Skyview has never gone up. As a matter of fact, it's gone down. We've made it more affordable. Uh, we hope to keep that, that trend going and uh, continue along those lines. Affordable avionics, that's what we're all about. All right, so uh, just to, to provide both sides of this, I guess I'll, I'll say if you love one of these products, you can send a little love note to Dave at Dynon. But if you hate the product, now you know who to point your finger at and say, you totally got it wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, every, every show I go to, I, I, I uh, get challenged by some customer who tells me that we've done everything wrong. And uh, those are the days I earn my paycheck. <laughs> All right, well, good deal. Um, let's uh, let's move into um, sort of a, a general overview of uh, autopilots in Asonics. So I guess the first thing I just want to throw out there and see what you guys think is, why in the world would anybody even consider putting an autopilot in Asonics? Asonics is just a fun local flyer. It's just for yanking and banking. Why, why would anybody want to put an autopilot in Asonics? Well, there are those of us who actually do cross-country trips in Asonics. And there are those of us who uh, have an autopilot but don't use it. Yeah. So, Gary, you, you know, you talk about cross country, but wh why? Why would an autopilot e enable you to do cross country? I guess just walk the walk the logic that goes through your mind. Well, again, if you talk, look at the, the philosophy of the Sonics. It was designed, as I understand, to be a very nimble, uh, you know, toss around kind of aircraft for yanking and banking, which it certainly is. Uh, that being said, then, when you actually do try to go cross-country and you start spending hours or a day in these, or several days in these things, uh, because in my particular aircraft, the, the, the CG and, and uh, stability is so neutral, uh, it's difficult to take your eyes off of anything and not expect to be looking back up and find yourself, you know, 30 degrees off course. 
so in those cases, even just a simple wings leveler uh, could make a, a big difference as far as comfort level and, and, and being able to accomplish some other tasks. Uh, that being said, it can certainly be done without it, but it would certainly be nice to have as well. I think any any Sonics pilot who has made a long cross country, you know, more than a few hours, uh, they probably have had that exact same thought. Like, the airplane is so much fun to fly, but you really got to kind of fly it all the time. And so maybe a little help every now and then would, wouldn't be all that, you know, unwelcome. One of the things we constantly preach here at Dynon is if you don't want a full autopilot system, at least put something in like a roll or a wing leveler. It's just strictly a, a great way to uh, increase the safety of your cross country or just your general flying. Okay. Uh, John, what were you going to uh, point out? Well, I, I kind of uh, equate it to having a, uh, a, a car without a, a, um, a cruise control. And if you're ever doing long cross country in a car without a cruise control, it's a lot of, a lot of effort to keep it at that constant speed. And, um, you know, you can kind of wander off, even though you're driving the car, you, you don't have to worry about the speed with an autopilot. You can, uh, you can, you know, it takes a lot of the effort off. Yeah, absolutely. It, it does. It lowers your workload and allows you to do other things like, navigate enjoy the scenery you know just some stuff like that uh, not that you're you're not gonna pay attention and fly the airplane but it it helps you manage your workload and i fly cross country with uh mike needenthal who's a airline pilot and if i'm in the lead he is constantly on the radio with me telling me to you know straighten up and fly right because i'm all over the sky i'm left right up down um if i'm following him he's you know, dead on because he is such a good professional pilot. So what you're saying is some people need more help than others, right? <laughs> I definitely need more help. Because <laughs> I enjoy the nimbleness of my Sonics, and Mike tends to like to fly straight and level. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Gary, you were going to hit on, uh, I think, safety. Yeah, you know, certainly not something we advocate. Let's just talk about, you know, the wor- one of the worst-case scenarios. Say you get, you know, in a solid on-top VFR on top, and now you've got, a you know, a cloud deck below you that's stretching for a couple hundred miles. Uh, you know, assuming you go through all the ATC clearances, things of that nature, you may not necessarily have a full EVIS uh, in, in your Sonic. So even with just a wings leveler, you know, if you had to make a, a you know, a power reduction letdown through that, you could certainly flip on the autopilot to try to keep you sunny side up, you know, as you as you power reduce and, and let yourself down through the overcast. Right, and we're not talking about planning to go fly IFR on your Sonics. We're talking about no. an emergency escape plan that you can implement if you find yourself, you know, trapped someplace. Sure. Dave, um, on the Dynon autopilot, is there a straight and level button, a U-turn button? Is there anything like that that's kind of geared for that? you know, hey, help me out right now type mission? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we have both. Um, We have a a level and we have a 180-degree turnaround button. We do offer even a a separate level button that you can mount on your uh, panel um, in addition to the autopilot control module, which also also has that level button. And uh, when we designed that, we specifically designed that level button to look different than any of the other buttons that we have on our system 
And it actually spells out level. It doesn't just say LVL. We actually say level. And we did that on purpose because if you can imagine a passenger sitting there with you and you give them a pre-flight, the one thing that they're going to remember is that level button. That's the one thing they're going to look at. And if anything ever happens to you, you tell them, I want you to hit this level button. And that will keep the airplane flying straight and level until you can figure out what you're going to have to do or I come back around. So it's very important for us uh, to provide that, that very large safety net with a wings level. I think that's a great feature. And again, um, different uses for different missions. Um, we're not going to sit down and, and program a complex IFR flight plan uh, that the airplane is going to fly kind of for us. We're going to use it to reduce our workload and allow us to do a couple of things and then maybe to save our butts when we, uh, when we get into a bad situation. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, one of the other things to consider uh, besides just safety is a fuel savings. If you're flying autopilot, you're doing long cross countries with an autopilot, you're going to be able to fly a lot more efficiently using an autopilot than if you were flying by hand. You're going to maintain altitude a lot better. You're going to maintain that heading a lot better. And in the end, you're going to arrive at your destination uh, with a better fuel rate than if you were to fly it by hand. Yeah, that makes sense. I hadn't really considered that, but I can see how that would be the case. Okay, well, one other thing comes to my mind, and this is something that Sonics pointed out several years ago. They put an autopilot in one of their factory prototypes, and they said that it was uh, really valuable to them for doing flight testing because the autopilot could fly a test profile much more accurately than you could flying it by hand. And I think that's another interesting uh, reason why you might want to consider it, that level of precision might really be what you need at that particular time. Definitely. I know at Dyna, we do a lot of our testing with the autopilot on, mainly because we're just looking for specific directions at a, at a given time, specific altitudes. And uh, a lot of the stuff that we do is uh, we want to fly a certain area for an extended period of time because that area might have um, towers that we're trying to access or terrain that we're trying to access. And we can go out there with a flight plan and, and push a button and fly that same pattern over and over again every day and maintain it within a few feet. To play devil's advocate here, uh, what are the reasons why, I don't know, maybe you, you would not want to install an autopilot or maybe some of the downsides if you chose to do it? What do you think, John? Well, I mean, the the biggest downside is uh, putting complexity in your aircraft and, and a little bit of extra weight when you don't use it. I know of one guy that has an autopilot that he doesn't use, um, and he's thinking about tearing it out because it's just extra complexity. So, I, uh, you know, personally, I'm I have an MGL system. I'm ready to put the. I have everything except for the servos to put an autopilot in. And I'm kind of holding. I don't know if I really want it or not. Um, you guys haven't convinced me yet. Well, that's true. Um, if your mission doesn't require it, then uh, why sign up for the cost, the weight, and the complexity? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I see. I see the the benefit. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, but it's going to cost me almost two thousand dollars to put the servos in. And uh, I'm just. I do a lot of cross countries, but I also like hand flying. So you know, I'm I'm kind of on the fence right now. Yeah, and somebody once told me that 
they um, they have to fight falling asleep on cross countries anyway. And the only thing that keeps them awake is is having to hand fly the plane all the time. With an autopilot, they would definitely fall that's, asleep. That's that's me. That, that's how, that's it's how actually I that out. panic mode of of realizing that you're you've lost control and you're almost out of control that wakes you back up. Right. Right. Yeah. When uh, you're you're distracted on a thought, and then you realize, wait a sec, I don't think the sky should be on the bottom here. Something must be wrong. Yeah. So if you if you have made the decision that you're going to go ahead and, uh, and and put an autopilot in the plane, uh, I think there are, are a few considerations you ought to just think through before you really start buying hardware. Um, first off, and John, you kind of hit on this. What equipment do you already have installed, or what types of equipment are you planning on putting in there? If you have a a system that is an EFIS-based system, perhaps putting an autopilot in is as simple as putting a, a couple of servos and maybe a, another small control box or something like that. Uh, if you're flying on an, on an older steam gauge or a very minimalistic type panel, uh, maybe you need a little bit more equipment in order to kind of bring you up where you're ready to, to put the rest of that stuff in. We talked about the uh, the mission. We, we, we fit this in, in other podcasts, but uh, be honest about what your mission is. Don't build a cross-country cruiser for doing long trips across the country when you're never, ever going to do that. Or you're going to do one trip per year, but you build your airplane as if that's all it's going to do is cross-country travel. You know, Be honest about what you really want to do in the airplane. Define your mission and then build the airplane that meets your mission, not kind of the mission you think you might want. And, and, and also, Jeff, uh, I think if you don't put an autopilot in, it doesn't mean you can't do a long cross-country. It just means you're going to have to hand-fly it the entire trip. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to be clear, I'm not trying to talk anybody into putting an autopilot in. What I'd really rather them do is go into it with a, with a well-thought-out, educated plan, and they've been honest about the factors. And if they decide that it, it is for them, that's a good, you know, well-reasoned decision. Or if it's not for them, likewise, it's it's been well thought out and well-reasoned. Uh, I do not have an autopilot, but I am thinking about adding it in the near future just because I, I do want to experiment with some of these things, and I kind of would like some of this. So everybody just needs to go into the decision with their eyes open, and that's my main point is think it through and go into it with your eyes open. Plus it gives us another reason to tinker with our planes and keep David employed. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> One no, thing, absolutely. Would... Our our primary goal as an experimental aircraft owner is to keep the uh, our, our vendors, you know, in in, in business. <laughs> like I said earlier, guys, I've got two kids in college, so keep buying. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, One thing, Jeff, go ahead. Well, I, one thing I'd like to point out is even if you're on the fence of installing uh, an autopilot during your build, go ahead and install the, the mounting brackets and put in the harnesses that are required. It's really a low cost. Um, the installation kits are $75 for each axis. Um, that's a very affordable addition to your your build and those kits and and i know that i'll probably get in trouble with my boss for saying this but all the major brands have the same mounting hole pattern for the servos so whether you're installing an mgl or a true track or even a garmin 
um, you can install the Dynon bracket kit, and that will work for all of those different servos. The harnesses are a little bit different, but even if you're if you know you're going with a a Dynon system, but you're not sure exactly which Dynon system, it's the same harness for all the 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 same uh, servos. So for all the systems, it's the exact same harness. And that was one of the things I enjoyed about the Dynon too when I looked at it is is you have a lot of pre-made harnesses that I thought were really remarkably priced to make it easier for us to try to get some of the stuff put into our aircraft. We're builders, and we like to do that. Well, this is a good segue. So let, let's just delve into the specifics of the Dynon Autopilot. So, Dave, give us an overview of what bits and pieces uh, make up the Autopilot, uh, how it all kind of fits together, and then uh, kind of tell us how you drive these servos and just, just lay out the concept for a Dynon Autopilot. Well, the Dynon system, and I will say when I say Dynon system, there's several systems that will drive an autopilot. Uh, everything from our, our very basic D10A, which is capable of, of driving servos, and you can actually feed a um, GPS signal into that to follow a GPS. Um, the D10A will do that, and it will also allow you to um, you know, have that uh, six pack of information that you need on top of that. That is our probably our lowest entry point for an autopilot is the D10A. The D6 is not autopilot capable. Um, that's as its name says. It's your basic six pack. Then we step up to things like the the Skyview um, SE, which is a very simple simplified Skyview, which basically has all the same information that um, like your, your Dynon flight deck, the D-180 has. The D-180 is slightly um, less uh, costly than the Skyview SE, but the Skyview SE, for the amount of money you're going to spend, is going to give you so much more, um, including that uh, horrible ADSB 2020 compliance that's coming up here real shortly. And then you step up into... Um, the Skyview systems itself, what we now call Skyview Classic, and then, of course, our latest flagship, which is a Skyview HDX. So we kind of give you a really broad range of ways to get an autopilot into your, your aircraft. If you've already got, uh, you know, standard flight gauges in your aircraft, but you want to add that autopilot, you can simply add the D10A, and that will plug into your standard three-inch uh, three hole uh, and run power to the uh, and signal wires to the servos and you've got yourself an autopilot makes it really simple to do that kind of installation once you've got the servos in um, as our installation kits you know will guide you through how to hook them up uh, with the sonics it's pretty basic everything's done inside the fuselage and the reason why i did that was because um, the wings of the sonics are really porous uh, with those pop rivets, you know, the the, the pole rivets, um, the wings will get wet if you're flying through rain. And we uh, typically try to keep the electronic systems, the servos, dry. And that's why we put it inside the fuselage. But it's real simple. It's it's hooking up the, the pitch to the uh, A-frame inside the cockpit. And you hook up the roll um, basically to the the control stick. So everything, uh, just just for people who are not familiar with how this goes into the Sonics, 
you pull the seat pan out, and underneath the seat, you mount the servos, and they basically push directly on the control triangle. That's that's what you're describing, correct? Correct. Okay. And then just, uh, again, a point of clarification. Um, there is no standalone autopilot module that you buy. It's, it's an EFIS-based system that drives the servos. And so if you already have an EFIS, then you're 90% of the way there. You just buy the servos in the install kit, and you're there, correct? That's correct, as long as it's a Skyview or a Dynon system. Yeah, I can tell you that uh, other companies like TrueTrack will offer just an autopilot driver with, uh, and with their servos. Uh, our servos are not compatible between each other. But for uh, about the same price, you can have a, a D10A and actually have a backup instrumentation rather than just an autopilot driver. You talked about... Uh a couple of the considerations for installing the, the brackets and all that, but how is it different if you're going to do an initial build versus a retrofit to put an autopilot in? Say, so you already got a Skyview in your Sonics, and you're either doing uh, finishing your build out or you're going back in and putting servos in. What 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 is the difference in that look like? Well, uh, if you're going to do a retrofit, it's very similar to doing the installation while you're doing the build. Uh, obviously, you're going to have to pull that seat pan out and get down underneath there. Um, you're just going to have to be a lot more nimble uh, being able to crawl inside there at that time than if you were to do it while you're doing your build. That's why I really encourage people to install the brackets, the mounting brackets, as during your build, whether you're going to do it or not, it's always something, you know, that, um, you can add later and, uh, affordably. But as far as the retrofit, um, you're going to have to drill yourself, uh, a dozen holes or so, and you're going to have to, uh, uh, unbolt a couple things from the control frame and, uh, add a push rod to it. Uh, obviously you're going to have to run the wiring, um, from whatever control module you've got. And I'll take that opportunity to, to remind people that uh, you need to write, run the proper gauge of wiring. What we see uh, quite a bit, and we'll talk more about gotchas later on, but what we see quite a bit is people that will run wires that are not uh, of the proper gauge and end up uh, getting hot wires or doing what we call uh, current limiting to the servos, and the servos will just shut themselves off because they can't get enough current while they're operating. So make sure you got the prop, the right wiring, and uh, the right signal wires, the right power wires, and then uh, simply hook up the 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 system as is uh, explained in the uh, installation guides. I'm sure the mo the wire size is called out in your manual, but are we talking about a fat wire? Or are we just talking about not a 24 gauge signal wire? What are we talking about? We suggest a, a minimum of a 20-gauge, and we do sell a harness that is specific for servo hookups. It's, uh, it only comes in one length, which is 20 feet, but it gives you um, all the wires for the signal wires, and it gives you 20-gauge uh, power wires, and it's $55. It's well worth the money. Okay, so 20-gauge is, is probably a little bit bigger than your normal aircraft wiring but it's not crazy big or anything like that. Correct. No, and those harnesses are easy to do. They give you the connectors for the D-subs and everything else to pin them right on. If you had to 
estimate the amount of added effort to install uh, the autopilot in, in a new build, what, what do you think that would be? Are we talking about a few hours, a weekend's worth of work, or, or what? Oh, I'd definitely say that it's uh, a weekend's worth of work, if not less. But that all depends on whether you're doing uh, a single stick or a dual stick or a lowered seat or standard seat. Um, the kit that I designed was based around a dual stick uh, with a lowered seat modification. Uh, and I will say that, uh, take the opportunity to tell everybody right now that we currently only offer a kit that is for um, the legacy Sonics models. We currently do not have a Sonics Model B uh, kit. And uh, hopefully I can uh, convince uh, Sonics uh, or some generous Sonics Model B builder out there in my neighborhood to work with me to develop that kit for the Sonics Model B. And that's really because they use a completely different control stick. You know, there's no triangle. It's not, it's not done anything like it was in the A model. It's completely different. That's correct. Okay. So, so um, a, a weekend's worth of work to, to add it to your initial build. And then if you're going to retrofit, what do you think a planning factor for a retrofit is? Are we talking about a few weekends, a month of weekends? What, what do you think? Oh, no, I, I don't think it's that much more complicated than the initial installation. Um, once you get that seat pan removed, everything is fairly well exposed at that point. So, uh, you know, a, a fast builder um, like an Eric Shepherds can probably have it done uh, in a Saturday. A slow builder like myself, it would definitely take a weekend's worth of work. Okay. All right, good. Um, and then let's... Uh let's just run down kind of your list of tips. I, I do want to get to the gotchas and pitfalls, but let's, let's go through the tips for success first and then transition into the gotchas. Well, um, the best tip I can do give people is, uh, install it as early as you possibly can. When you've got, uh, the, the, the entire canoe open there, the more you build around it, um, the harder it is going to be to get in there and, and make the modifications. Uh, make those decisions early on whether or not you're doing a, a dual stick or a single stick, uh, whether or not you're doing the, the lowered seat pan or not. The, the, the tips that really help out people the most is to do that planning. And if you can run the, the, the harnesses that you need, the wiring that you need uh, early on, you're going to be a lot better off. The location of the servos is fairly well spelled out in the installation guide, so none of that guesswork has to happen. You know where the cable harnesses go. You know what those lengths are going to have to be, and that's really uh, what most people struggle with when they start deviating from plans is, uh, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, the minute you start deviating from plans, you're doing typically adding time and money to your build. So uh, follow the directions as well uh, as you can, as close to as you can, and uh, uh, make sure that you uh, don't try and reinvent the wheel when you're doing it. Dave, how, how many tech support questions come in that really can be traced back to people just not reading the manual? Uh, it's always kind of a joke around here. Um, the amount of questions that we get. Uh, I'm sure I've had great conversations with Carrie at Sonics about the same thing. Uh, overall, it's, it's a pretty low amount of numbers. If you actually sit down and do the math, when you consider that Dynon has 
um, over 5,000 units just in the U.S. alone. Um, you know, it, it, we get, you know, maybe myself, maybe two or three questions a month on uh, installations uh, related to autopilots. So it's really not um, a large amount of numbers when you consider uh, how many systems we have out there. And I would say that uh, where we do get the questions is people that are installing systems in uh, unique aircraft, aircraft that um, are maybe one or two that are currently flying. When you get out in the RV world, we have installations for all the RVs. Uh, you get into things like the Zenith world. They're pretty well documented out there on the web. Um, so it, there's really sort of a... Um, a real good base for people to go find the information that they need. Plus we keep a lot of that here ourselves. Our sales guy, uh, Dan Tennyson has got a great spreadsheet. If you call him up and ask him what kind of servos you need and what installation kits you need for your particular aircraft. If it's a well-known aircraft, 90% of the time we can help you. Okay. All right. And, uh, so we keep kind of circling around this idea that there are some, uh, some pitfalls that you want to avoid. Uh, run us through the common pitfalls. Well, I'll start off with a, a fairly simple one um, that we get with the specifically for the Sonics installation, and that is the um, the servo arm on the roll. Um, it comes very close to hitting that seat pan, and I caution people, uh, even in the installation guide, to make sure that. You're, uh, you're not hitting the bottom of that seat pan because if that arm comes up and hits the seat pan, well, the servo can't go anywhere. You'll get a false um, indication on the screen that says the servo is slipping. That's simply because the servo can't overcome uh, whoever's sitting in the seat pan. I purposely put that on the right-hand side because that's typically the seat that's not occupied. Uh, so when you go flying most often, there's not an issue there. Um, but if you put somebody in the seat and you haven't done the proper uh, installation, that arm can come up and hit that seat pan, and that's not a good thing. So that's really uh, probably the, the largest safety and uh, biggest concern that we get when it comes to Sonic specifically installations. Is that going um, to um, damage the servo or, or jam your controls, or what's, what's the impact if that happens? Uh, it's just simply a pause in the ability of the servo to react. It's not going to ruin the servo at all. Um, the pilot can easily overcome any force that it, it would take to get over that. Um, and for the most part, people are really smart about making sure that it doesn't hit the pan. And it's just been a few uh, installations where we've had to figure out why it is hitting the pan. For the most part, people really are, are pretty good about following the directions and not and making sure that that doesn't happen. Well, you don't think it would affect the shear screws? No, not at all. Nope. The the shear screw is there simply uh, as a fail-safe if the motor itself were to lock up. Okay, so that sounds like it. You want to do whatever you can to make it not hit, but if it does, you're not going to have a safety of flight thing that's going to it's going to cause you all kinds of grief. You're just going to be able to go back in and tweak it to prevent it from making contact. Yeah, you'll get you'll the system itself will give you a servo slip because the servo can't overcome it. 
when it's uh, when it's hitting up against the bottom of the seat pan. And so you'll get a servo slip indication and, and you'll wonder why your system is slipping and, and you'll call up tech support and um, we'll figure out pretty quickly with the, uh, with the diagnostic log download that there's something uh, obscuring the servo arm from doing its job. Mm-hmm. As I said, though, it's, it's very rare that we've run into that. Yeah, well, and you know that's that's honestly not very surprising, because the seat pan, uh, just a, a millimeter or two in length of the seat pan, changes how it sits down in there anyway. It's a long piece, and it kind of sags into that that opening. If you pull it real tight and install your hinges, you're not going to have much sag. And if you have an extra millimeter or two, it's going to sag more. So I think there's a yeah. wide range that this that customer seat pans are gonna are gonna fall into. And I know a lot of people that have. Uh, gone from the 025 to the 032 aluminum on the seat pan just because of that, where they they don't like the sag that the 025 seat pan gives them, and they go to the 032, and and they feel they get a lot more support uh, with the thicker aluminum in that 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 area. Mm-hmm. Okay, what other gotchas but, can you point out? Uh, another gotcha is uh, the over center on the servo. Uh, the servo itself, because it's rotational, can only go plus or minus 60 degrees from center. And we'll see, because of the incredibly long throw that the roll servo has to do uh, with the Sonics installation, um, if you don't do the proper installation, um, that servo arm can go over center, go beyond 60 degrees. We do provide what we call a limiting bracket, and I highly suggest that you put that on the servo um, during your installation just so that it is sort of a reminder that this is as far as the servo can go. Um, But just be aware of it that uh, when you do your installation, uh, matter of fact, I was watching a video uh, just today brushing up on this whole installation of a gentleman doing an installation using another uh, brand and he was deadly close to going over center on his servos uh, to the point where I'm actually considering writing him a, an email to uh, tell him how close he is to uh, being in a dangerous situation. And what happens if that happens in flight? Then you will get a system lockup. The, the servo will go beyond. You won't, it'll uh, rotate beyond uh, a point where you can't get it back. And at that point, you're in a very uh, flight safety mode. Yeah, that's where you test the strength of that shear screw, huh? Yep, yep. Yeah, well, one of those little details, uh, one of many that you just kind of got to get right. Yeah, and as long as you follow the guidelines in the installation uh, guide and, and uh, look at uh, uh, information that's available available to you, you shouldn't have any problems. Uh, I will take a, a minute to notify people that there are a lot of good videos that Dynon has on the Dynon channel that uh, relate specific to the servo and the autopilot installation, along with how to actually run the autopilot in flight. You should really go check those out before you do an installation or before you make that first flight. Okay, so after you've got your system all installed and you're ready to go fly it, how do you calibrate and how do you kind of fine-tune the system? Well, what I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, one of the most important things in fine-tuning is uh, kind of backing up a little bit about what we were just talking about, and that is one of those gotchas, 
making sure that your ADA HARS, the ADA HARS in our system is what uh, control, has all of the sensors in it. It's got the G meter, it's got uh, the gyros in it, it's got everything in there. If that ADA HARS is not mounted properly, uh, meaning that it's mounted in a stable place with uh, low vibration and in the correct direction and the correct orientation, that autopilot will never, ever fly well. So make sure that the, that the system installation is done correctly. And then from there, we can start talking about how to fine-tune uh, the autopilot. And one of our engineers, the, by the name of Lawrence Doan, who was um, responsible for writing the software on the autopilot, he did a really good white paper on how you can go up and tune your autopilot. I highly recommend that people go download that before they go up and, and fly the autopilot and just walk through um, the guideline that he provides. He goes through different settings on, on the sensitivity settings and the gain settings that you adjust uh, in the system to get your autopilot to fly right. So uh, expand a little bit on the sensitivity setting. What, what is that and why, why would you adjust it? Well, a good way to look at it is there's two settings in the autopilot guide that are really um, directed towards the flight characteristics of the system. The sensitivity setting, you can look at that as how much throw the system is going to need. Because we don't know the airplane that the autopilot is going into, we have to somehow figure out how much throw the airplane is going to be required in order for it to react. Um, Sonics owners can really relate to this. We all know that the Sonics is a very agile uh, airplane. Compared to uh, a Cessna 150 or a 172, you know, you really got to pull back on the yoke on a 172 to get the aircraft to pitch up. Uh, same with roll. You really got to crank that yoke in order to get the aircraft to roll in a 172. Not so true in a, in a Sonics. It takes very little deflection of the elevator for us to get um, a reaction in the aircraft. So uh, that's kind of really how our, our sensitivity works is just how much um, that, that control surface has to deflect to get the reaction it's looking for. So it's aircraft specific and it's installation specific. Just because your buddy's flying a Dynon system and he has a sensitivity rating set to a, a certain number doesn't mean that yours is going to be that. You might have done your installation a little bit different. Um, your sensitivity setting will, might be uh, a little bit different than your buddy's. And how, now, do, you know if you, how do you know Go if ahead. you've got it wrong? Uh, what you'll see, the typical is uh, what we call wallowing. Uh, when, you, when you're tuning that autopilot for the first time, you want to make sure that it's a very calm day, um, preferably clear so you're not flying, dodging clouds, that kind of stuff. What you want is you want the, once you activate the autopilot, if it starts to wander or wallow, then you know that you've got to start uh, adjusting the settings. And that's the typical uh, settings adjustment. You also might see things like a slip indication on the screen. That means that the servo is, uh, you might need to increase the torque on that servo so that um, 
it can have enough power to override the 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 aircraft control system. What's the process of kind of like fine tuning this in flight? You go up, do you do you tune it all dynamically in the air, or do you make an adjustment and then go test it and then come back and make more adjustments? No, typically you do it in the air. There's a special menu within the Dynon Skyview system that allows you to do this in the air. What you're going to do is you're going to end up adjusting mostly the sensitivity. Um, gain adjustment is really kind of a multiplier. Uh, if you kind of want to look visualize it as a, a fact of um, your sensitivity might be a, a two, but the gain might be a, a 10 or a 20. That's the multiplier that the sensitivity is going to see. So if you adjust gain, you're going to see a, a radical change in the flight characteristics. Most aircraft don't need that. Most aircraft are, are in the sensitivity range of adjustment. So uh, we really walk you through this um, in the guide, as you walk through, there's actually a really good flow chart that tells you, go do this, go do that, go do this, go do that. And um, basically, it starts off with a roll and moves on from there. Uh, it goes into pitch after that. But um, it's a really well um, regimented document that tells you how to do things. Um, it's going to tell you to engage your autopilot in a track mode and an altimeter mode or an altitude mode so that it's holding altitude and it's holding a GPS track. Um, that way you're not flying a varying um, magnetic heading. So it'll have you do that. You're going to uh, increase the, the torque of the servo if it's required. If your servo is not giving you those slips, you move on to the next stage, which is the sensitivity. You're going to do a 90-degree turn and if there's any hesitation or if uh, it doesn't roll out on the proper heading, if it rolls beyond and come, has to come back, you're going to adjust that sensitivity. So it's, it's a really good, well-laid-out document that will get you that fine-tuning that you need. Uh, I really hate it when I get customers that will call up and say, I, uh, I, I need to adjust my autopilot. It's not behaving right. And I say, have you gone through uh, the procedure? And they uh, hesitate and don't even realize that there is a procedure out there to follow. So download that, walk through it before you go flying, walk through it. And it's always a good idea when you're doing that setup to have somebody else in the cockpit. You're going to be pushing buttons and, and uh, turning the autopilot on and off. So it's a good thing to have somebody else there that can either push those buttons or fly the plane while you're doing that. Well, it sounds like a, a very clearly defined uh, path that all you have to do is just get on the path and follow it, and you'll be successful. Yeah, if you uh, ever get a chance to just download that document, I highly recommend it, and, and you can see how well laid out it is and, and how it walks you through the steps uh, of not only roll but pitch uh, adjustment. And um, it, it's very well laid out in, in the sense that it's a, a flow it doesn't just, it's not all uh, letters and words. It actually has a flow diagram that really steps you through the process clearly. All right. Well, good deal. Um, okay. Well, uh, moving on. So you've got it installed. Now you've got it tested and it's tuned and operating well. 
what do you have to do on kind of a continuing airworthiness basis? Are there any specific maintenance or inspections, or how does that piece of it work out? Well, uh, you always want to do inspections on any equipment in there. Um, there is a, an initial setup that you do on the ground where um, you will move the control stick in all of the directions, and there's a wizard, uh, as we call it, an installation wizard on the screen that you follow. It'll tell you, okay, um, push the disconnect button now. That will start the, the wizard. Move the stick to the upper left, move the stick to the upper right, move the stick down, move it left. And in each of those positions, you hit the disconnect button, and that way the system knows the full throw. At that point, it, the system will know whether or not you've gone beyond the limits that are recommended. So if you do a, a if the arm will go 65 degrees, we'll tell you and we'll say, hey, this is not a safe installation. You need to, to do it differently. Once you've done that, you're pretty much ready and set to go up and go fly the autopilot system. It's fairly simple. And um, then on an annual basis, if you ever have to do a, a, a system reconfiguration, you'll have to, to do that again. But it's a fairly simple process. I always recommend that people check the tie rods, make sure that there isn't any, uh, you know, black uh, type of uh, debris around there. Check your uh, your nuts and your bolts and make sure that those are there. And always safety wire your servos into the brackets. Um, we provide a, a, a pre-drilled head bolt for the mounting of the servos when you buy the installation kit. And those should all be safety wired in. And then is there any kind of like set maintenance for the servo itself? Do you have to do you have to lube it or do you have to overhaul it or, or is it just uh, good to go for a long time? It's good to go for a long time. There's no lubrication required. All right. Well, that sounds pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty simple. We try and make it simple because we know uh, that's what builders like. All right. Uh, Gary, John, uh, what, what did we forget to cover here? What, what else? What questions do you have? No, I think it's been a good uh a good briefing. Again, if you look at much much of the dyno documentation, uh, you know initially you get kind of overwhelmed because I think the original installation manual is about 500 pages or so, and probably the the operating manual is probably another 500 pages. I could be exaggerating a little bit, David, but it's an awful lot of paperwork. So most of the questions in there can get answered uh, if you take the time to go from page to page to page. Uh, I think I had to call dyno once myself just. I just wanted to verify that I actually understood what I was reading when I was trying to hook up the uh, the separate audio uh, audio pilot panel to my uh, control stick. Uh, but most of the information is pretty well laid out. Yeah, and I'll tell you guys that uh, a lot of this information is available off of our website. We just uh, redid our website uh, just a few months ago. It's really clear on how you can move, maneuver around that. And um, if you simply go to uh, information on autopilot uh, installations, and you'll be able to download all that information from there. All right. So, uh, Dave, thanks for uh, thanks for kind of going through the details of, of that. Um, so you mentioned the website, uh, and I, I, I take that to mean your library of technical documentation is all on your website. That's correct. We have... Uh, quite a few documents there and all of our documents are free to download 
by anybody. We don't uh, we don't charge for it. Um, it's available to anybody that wants to download it. If you're you know if you're just listening to this podcast as a, a Sonics uh, enthusiast and and you want to check out what uh, it takes to actually do the installation of the autopilot, uh, the servos, you can go download that document right now and look at what you're up against. All right, good deal. Dave, uh, if people want to learn more about the, the, the Dynon Autopilot or the Dynon products or, or any of that stuff, um, what should they do? Well, uh, once again, I would direct them toward our fabulous new website, and I would ask them to sign up for our newsletter. If you simply go there and, and click uh, on the how to sign up for the, the newsletter, um, simply fill out the information there. And uh, we'll send you, you'll get uh, annual emails. It'll allow you to communicate and uh, look on our forum. One thing I will say and uh, is that I was uh, asking our marketing department how I could sort of thank Jeff for uh, putting this all together. And we've decided that just for the Sonics podcast listeners here that we're going to uh, uh, give away two $200 gift certificates for Dynon equipment just by signing up for our newsletter. So if you go there and uh, put in the uh, how you heard about it, put the Sonics Flight Podcast in there, that will enter you into uh, one of those two gift certificates, and Jeff will be announcing the winners uh, on next month's podcast. Yeah, um, I I think that's a, that's a great way. Um, the uh, the newsletter has all the latest uh, announcements and it's got it's got a lot of interesting stuff so even if you're just considering future avionics it's good to kind of get plugged in and, and see what's out there and where the where the market is going if you're a dynon customer it's essential you, you know you need to be you need to be out there and need to be following those products um, and, and hey if i mean who doesn't like free you know help towards a nice new hdx I mean, that's that's fantastic. So thanks for doing that. My pleasure. Thanks for putting this podcast, podcast together. It's, uh, it's actually a wonderful thing for the Sonics community. Well, we, we have a lot of fun, but I think that, um, you know, I don't want this to become a, a Dynon commercial show. There, there is a lot of interest in some of these topics. So, you know, Dynon is one of the most popular autopilots installed in Sonics. Now, there's others out there. And I'd like to dig into the details of those also. But we really need to share this information amongst ourselves. So I appreciate you taking some time to, to run down it. I know this is your, your literal day job, but uh, it doesn't make it any less interesting for the rest of the builders who rely on this kind of information to kind of steer them right. I agree with that. And, and of course, uh, you know, my, uh, my phone is always available to uh, Sonics builders. Um, if our tech support can't help them, um, all they have to do is simply uh, put in any email to tech support uh, that they uh, would like to talk to David uh, Weber about the Sonics installation, and that information gets to me. I'm, I'm happy to help people out. Of course, you can always corner me at any of the uh, trade shows that I go to, and, and uh, we can talk about Sonics all day long. I absolutely love that airplane. Well, good. Um, I'll be looking forward to bumping into you at... Uh at Oshkosh this year. Um, I don't know if you're going to have anybody down at Sun and Fun. That's, that's a bit of a hike down there. 
Uh, I will be at Sun and Fun, believe it or not. All right. Well, good. Uh, yeah, we'll be down there too. So I'll uh, I'll come find you in the booth. And if anybody else is looking to uh, to connect with David, he'll be the good looking guy with the Dynon hat in the booth. So just just look for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're too kind, Jeff. You're too kind. <laughs> Well, um, okay, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Um, Gary, final thoughts on autopilots in general or the Dynon autopilot offering in specific? Um, you know, I, I've, of all my flying, I've, I've pretty much always been a hands-on guy myself. You know, but now after these, what, 35 years or so now, I'm really starting to see the value of having at least a wings level or autopilot in there. So, you know, I would seriously consider someone, you know, take a serious long look at it and see if it might meet uh, some of their mission goals or to provide that secondary safety aspect that we've already previously discussed. Okay, John, uh, any final thoughts or comments? No, I'm, uh, I have an MGL system and I'm uh, on the fence on installing my autopilot. I just really can't quite come to terms with spending the money on the servos, but I can definitely see a value to it. Yeah, yeah, good point. Well, and for me, uh, autopilot was not really even on my list when I started looking for what kind of instruments I was going to put in my airplane. I looked at all the different options from a super cheap panel to uh, to an MGL or uh, the Dynon. I think I even looked at, at the Garmin line. You know, I really wanted to kind of keep my options open. And what sold me on Dynon was just it's a really, really fantastic ethos you know based system it was just a nice bonus that if you if you've got this this kick butt system that you can add the autopilot as an add-on for not much more money that was just icing on the cake um, now most of the ethos based systems are going that direction and i think that's great i think that uh, i think that autopilots are going to be more and more common in the future as everybody makes it easy and quick to be able to go ahead and add them into your plane yeah, Jeff, one of the things that I would uh, add on top of that is the FAA itself is really pushing for um, a solution to this loss of control flight, and the autopilot is going to be a significant contributor to that. Here's my prediction. In, in 10 or 20 years, um, people are going to expect that when things go bad, you have an escape plan, whether it's a shoot or whether it's a straight and level button on the panel. It's going to have some some secondary escape plan that you can implement. I really think the market is going to drive all of us in that direction. And so maybe we're not quite there yet, but I, I definitely see us going that direction. And, and why not? I mean, it's great to have that. Well, especially since previously, I think, you know, when everyone talked about an autopilot, you're talking, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, if I'm not mistaken, especially in the certified market. Of course, you know, with the experimental, you know, the, the market has just opened up so much more now. And, it, you know, in the big scheme of things now, it's just much more of an attractive uh, proposition. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it all up here. Uh, I want to thank uh, David Weber again for coming on and running us through that, and uh, thank the marketing guys there at Dynon for that very generous offer for those uh, those two hundred dollars gift certificates. And we'll be sure to to get those names and and we'll announce it next time. So you can catch us uh, on the web at sonicsflight.com. We're going to put links to the uh, the white paper. The, um, the, the various website links that we talked about, we'll put the news story on all the normal show notes stuff. You can find it on the show notes at sonicsflight.com slash one six. 
And then, of course, you can go on there and um, you can hit our subscribe buttons. Uh, you can you can subscribe to the show through iTunes and Google Play or your favorite podcast app on your phone or your iPad. Uh, or you can just go directly to the website and listen to it from there. Next time, uh, for episode 17, we've got a couple of topics teed up. And again, we'll see which one we get to first. But we've got electrical systems that's coming up pretty quick. And then we've got this topic on leaning. And uh, so we're probably going to hit one of those next time. So I guess you're just going to have to check back and, and see which one uh, popped up to the top first. Once again, want to thank David for uh, spending some time and uh and gary and john uh good conversation um appreciate your guys's insights and john um you know the the voice of of reason here when we get enamored with with gadgets and goodies um you know we we uh we need to keep it firmly in mind that you know we, we're doing this for a reason and mission focus so i appreciate you kind of steering us back to that <laughs> well, I like it i can never have too many buttons on my panel it gives me something to play with on cross countries <laughs> Yeah, well, I have an iPad. I can, I can, uh, you know, surf the web or whatever I'm doing while I'm flying if I get really bored. I can tell you how much I appreciate John's uh, vision of the Sonics. I'll, it's really uh, what drew me to it in the first place. So uh, I'm in your camp there too, John. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, we got to keep it simple, but there are, there, I, I, I see the benefits. All right, guys. Well. Well done, and I uh, look forward to talking to you guys uh, next time. So uh, have a good uh, good couple of weeks. Uh, get out there and fly often and, and fly safe. Good deal. Talk to you guys again soon. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.